At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today we're going to be continuing a sermon series that we began a number of weeks ago called The Lord of New Heaven and Earth, looking at the last four chapters of our Bibles as we see kind of the culmination of all things in our eternal home. Now, as we prepare for this, I want to remind us again that as we have done throughout 2022, as we have been studying the book of Revelation, we have seen that it is a revelation of who? It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, our hope and desire this morning is that we see Christ more clearly by looking at these verses we're going to see today. And today we're specifically going to look at the first five verses of Revelation 22, the last chapter in our Bibles. But before we look at those verses together, I want to kind of set the stage for what we're going to see as we examine these verses. In order to do that, I want to share with you the story of how we found the house where we currently live. See, there was a neighborhood that our son had a number of friends that lived inside, and, and we uh, desired to live inside of this neighborhood. Only there was a problem with that. And the problem was that the homes in that neighborhood already had people living in them. And so we began to kind of look around, and, and one day a house was for sale in that neighborhood. And then it wasn't for sale any longer, but it hadn't sold. And so for a number of months, every week, I would go online and check to see if this house was for sale again. And every week, not only would I see if the house was for sale, but I also would go back and look again at the pictures of the inside of the house. And not only that, but I would drive from that location to places that I regularly visited so I could time it just to see how far it was away. Even some Sundays driving past that house on the way to church. Now, why did I do such a thing? Well, by God's grace, the house did become for sale again. And it was not just a a hope, but we actually were able to move in. But I share that story with you today because I think it demonstrates something about our behavior. When there is something that we are longing for, when there is something that we are looking forward to, we don't just look at the picture once, do we? No, we go back again and again. How often did you look at the ultrasound of your firstborn? Just once or many times in the nine months leading up to their birth? Or if you've adopted a child, how Many times did you look at the picture of that child just once or did you continue to go back and look at that photo every day until the child joined your home? We go back again and again, don't we? And the reason why we go back again and again is because it allows us to have some fellowship with our future. It allows us to have a connection with something that we want to join our everyday experience. And not only that, by looking at it again and again, it actually creates in us an additional desire to experience that reality. Friends, I say that today because we're in part seven of this series. For seven weeks, we have been looking at our eternal home. And some of you might be going, again? We're going to look again? 
And the answer to that, friends, is absolutely yes. Not just because God has included it in his scripture for us, but because we long to see this place. We long to inhabit this place. We long to be with God in this place. And so again and again and again, we come back and we look. And today we're going to see another installment of this by looking at the first five verses of Genesis 22. Now, if you're with us last week, you know that we looked at a lot of the physical things that will be a part of our eternal home. Streets of gold, pearly gates, those things are not just ideas, they're actually in the Bible. We saw them last week. But today we're going to see some different things that make up our eternal home. As J. Vernon McGee says, he says, up to this chapter, the new Jerusalem seems to be all mineral and no vegetable. Its appearance is as the dazzling display of a fabulous jewelry store. But we wonder if there is no soft grass to sit upon, no green trees to enjoy, and no water to drink or food to eat. However, here are introduced the elements which add a rich softness to the city of elaborate beauty. Friends, this morning we're going to see that rich softness added to this city of a remarkable beauty, our future home, as we look at Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. So if you've got a Bible, take it out and turn to Revelation 22. I want to read these five verses for us, and then we'll back up and make a couple of observations as we connect it to our lives. Revelation 22, beginning in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Friends, in these five verses, I want us to see a couple of things again about our eternal home. Well, what are they? The first thing I want us to to see is really to hear something. I want us to hear the echo in eternity. I want us to hear the echo in eternity. What is the echo? An echo is something that originates here and goes out and bounces back to us. And when we look at Revelation chapter 22, we can't help but hear an echo because it sounds very similar to another place described in the scriptures. What does Revelation 22 sound like to you? Well, friends, it sounds like the Garden of Eden. Let's think back to Genesis chapters 1 through 3 and what we've seen in scripture there. Things that happened at the first. Well, one of the things that happened was a garden was prepared, the Garden of Eden a place that was protected and prepared for mankind, Adam and Eve, to live in fellowship and relationship with God. And then also inside of that garden, there was a river. To be fair, the scripture says there were four rivers that watered that garden. Why? Because water is necessary for human life. And this place was a place created for humanity to live. And so water was found in the Garden of Eden in a very prominent system of rivers. And then also inside of the Garden of Eden, there was a tree of life. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, and then in chapter 3, verse 22, it is mentioned again. 
This was a tree that had fruit that was strong enough to sustain life forever. And so we have these elements that we remember from God's creation of the Garden of Eden long, long ago. But when we think of Revelation 22 in the verses we just read, we see not the first time, but we see the last time. And what we see is God returning, echoing back many of these same things. In Genesis 2, we have a Garden of Eden. But in Revelation 22, we have a garden city. The city is a garden. This new Jerusalem, not just pearls and minerals, but vegetable as well. Opulent, but also warm. It was a place that God is preparing for us, and we see that in Revelation 22. And inside of this this beautiful city, there's also a river, the river of life, clear as crystal, flowing right through the middle of it so that no one might miss it. It's a provision of God that reminds us of what was in the Garden of Eden. It's found in the New Jerusalem. Not only was there a river of life, but also there was a tree of life. This this tree of life that we see in Revelation 22 springs up on both sides of the river of life, and it produces 12 kinds of fruit, and it produces those 12 kinds of fruit every month. Now, how many of you are gardeners? Anybody? Wow, we are not a gardening community. Um, I really thought I would get more response to that. Uh, However, we don't grow anything either. But here's the thing. We don't have anything in our gardens, friends, that is quite like that. Twelve kinds of fruit. Apple trees produce apples. A tree that produces 12 different kinds of fruit? So various. And a tree that produces them every month going on forever? Friends, we, we have no parallel to this, but we see this, this beautiful environment inside of the new Jerusalem that God has prepared that reminds us, it echoes back, it calls back to what God was doing in the Garden of Eden. Now, what is the point of all of that? Well, there's a few things that we might mention. One is, we think of a garden. A garden is a place that is beautiful, and it is a place that is cared for. You know, there are plants that grow all over the earth, but we wouldn't call them a garden. What makes something a garden is that it is arranged in a certain way, and it is cared for and protected in certain ways. And what we see in this garden city is we see this beautiful place that God has carefully prepared and protected for us. And when we see this this river, we're reminded that, that life is sustaining and goes on forever and ever and ever. You see, we can't live very long without water. We talked about that a few Sundays ago. Humanity can live only about three days without water. And in certain parts of the world, the absence of water is a a tremendous problem. But when we get to the the new Jerusalem, there is water in abundance available to all. It's a reminder of God's sustaining life. And not just our physical lives, but also our spiritual lives. Remember, it was Jesus who talked to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and he said, if you would ask of me, I would give you living water. And if you drink from that living water, you will never thirst again. Jesus was talking not just about a 
physical provision, but about a spiritual provision. And right here in the middle of our eternal home is a river that will never run dry, that has enough for all, a reminder of God's provision of our physical and spiritual needs forever. And then we have the tree of life with its abundant fruit every month. It's varied fruit, 12 different kinds, and it's consistent fruit. It will never run out. We see God's provision of us that will never, ever fail. But, but this description really is, is somewhat of a technical description. So I want us to, to think about the art of what we see described for a moment. And I, I want to encourage us to think that way by, by thinking about how someone from the first century might have thought about this description, what he saw. Remember, it was the Apostle John who delivers Revelation 22 to us. And the Apostle John was a resident of the first century in the Middle East. So how would he have understood this description? Well, let me show you John's backyard. See, this is the, the southern part of Israel. That's, that's what it looks like. Some of you are looking at that thinking it looks like Tatooine. Others of you are, are looking at that and thinking it looks like a well-lit surface of the moon. But that's actually what southern Israel looks like. It's a place that is actually not all that hospitable to humanity. In these large stretches that look like that, there are very few people that live in those areas because there aren't the things necessary for life. But in the midst of this area, there are a few spots in that wilderness where life is thriving. Here's one of them. This picture was taken in the Judean wilderness with my wife and I when we were there a few years ago. This picture was taken in a place called En Gedi. Now, you can imagine um, when David fled from Saul for his life, and it says he hid in the wilderness. Where would he have hid? Would he have run and hid in these rocks? Well, only if he was going to be there for a few hours. But if he was going to be there for days, weeks, or months, where do you think he would go? Not anywhere, but he'd go here. And that's exactly where he went. Why was Saul able to find him? Certainly somebody tipped him off, but Saul didn't have to look all over the wilderness. He just had to look at the water sources. See, John would have been familiar with environments that were hospitable to people, places that had shelter and water and food, and places that had none of those things. Which of these environments is conducive to human life and thriving? This one. And friends, when we see the description of the place that God has prepared for us, what does it have? Shelter, water, food. Healing for the nations. Healing for our lives. Friends, when John wrote this down, no doubt he was saying, God has prepared a place, not just for anyone, but he's prepared a place for humanity to live forever. Now, Warren Wiersbe helps us see these parallels between what is described in Genesis and what is described in Revelation. In Genesis, we have heaven and earth created. In Revelation, we have the new heaven and earth created. Notice the similarities. Why? Because it's the same author, the same creator created both. 
In Genesis, we have the sun that is created. But in Revelation, there is no longer a need for the sun because God himself will be the light. Do you see the upgrade? In Genesis, night was established. But in Revelation, there will be no night there, an upgrade. In Genesis, the seas were created. But in Revelation, there will be no more seas. Again, the seas were what separated people from each other. Seas were what separated people from the place where they wanted to go to worship. In the eternal home, there will be no seas. We will have access to this place. In Genesis, a curse was announced. In other words, when mankind sinned, suddenly work got hard. Childbirth became painful. And in Revelation, what we see is in verse 3 says, there, will, there is no more curse. That was a temporary situation that God has done away with forever and eternity. In Genesis, death enters history. In Revelation, there will be no more death. In, in Genesis, because of sin, they are driven from the tree of life. In Revelation, they are restored to paradise. In Genesis, there was sorrow and pain that began with sin, and yet in Revelation, there will be no more tears, and there will be no more pain. Friends, this is a remarkable upgrade of what God has done. And when we see Genesis next to Revelation, we get a sense for what God is doing as he is preparing this place for us for all time. So how might we respond to this truth? Well, one of the ways that we can respond is we can fix our gaze on eternity. We can fix our gaze on eternity. Do you know that what you look at, what you think about, influences how you organize your life? It just does. If, if what you look at and think about all the time is what your friends think of you, then you will find your life conforming to their image of reality. It just will happen that way. And if we will just look and fix our gaze upon what God is providing us in eternity, it will reorganize and reorder the way we think about life today. I love what William Newell says about this. He says, we do well to return again and again to Revelation 21 and 22, for it is the end of the pilgrim path. The more distinct the vision to the pilgrim of the beauty and the glory of the city to which he journeys, the less the immediate environments of his journey attract him. The more we focus on eternity, the more our lives are ordered today according to God's plan. Think about it this way. If all we knew was this life, we might be tempted to not share the gospel with people from a Muslim or a Hindu background. Why? Because if we share the gospel with someone from a Muslim or a Hindu background right now, and this life is all there is, well, then by receiving that message, they might bring persecution into their lives. They might have family that disown them. They might lose their job. They might be imprisoned in some way. See, if this life is all we have, and that's all we're thinking about, and that's all we're looking at, we will not share the gospel with the nations as Christ has encouraged and invited and commanded us to do. But if we understand that when we share the gospel with someone from a Muslim or a Hindu background, that we are offering them forgiveness, we are offering them eternity, we are offering them paradise with God, well, then suddenly 
It reorganizes how we live our lives today. If this life is all we have, we might look at our material possessions and just want to hang on to them and accumulate more of them. But when we look at eternity, we realize that whatever trinkets we collect right now are just that, trinkets. We won't take them with us, and they will be upgraded to something far superior then. Far better for us to think of organizing our lives around being generous with what God has given to us so that it might be connected to what he's doing in eternity. See, friends, we need to fix our gaze on what God is doing in eternity and have an eternal perspective as a result that influences the way that we live our lives now. But a second thing that we might think about as we seek to apply this is this. We, we need to plant ourselves by the water of God's word. Now, I, I say that because when we read this description, some of you are like, that's awesome, but I would love to have a foretaste now. I would love to have a taste of that kind of peace and provision and contentment today. How might we, we, we get that? You know, in, in eternity, there's a river, there's a tree, it brings healing. How do we have a taste of that now? Well, Psalm 1 tells us how we have a taste of eternity today. In Psalm 1, it says this, says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Friends, if you want a, a foretaste today, of the contentment that God will provide then, then trust in Christ and dive deep into his word. Plant yourself beside God's word and let the roots go down deep to drink from this direction. Learn, what God, learn, learn who God is. Learn what God wants you to do as you read this word. If you're thinking, okay, I'd like to do that, but where do I start? Well, This week, just read Revelation 22. If you're looking for a place to start, read Revelation 22, these 21 verses. Read it each day as you begin that day in preparation for our investigation of the last two messages in this series. Drink deeply from it and seek to follow Christ in obedience and response. So we hear this echo that is in eternity. There's a second thing that I want us to see today. Not just to hear the echo that is in eternity, but I want us to bask in the glow of the best part of eternity. I want us to bask in the glow of the best part of eternity. Now, what is the best part of eternity? We've seen this again and again in this series. What is it? It's the fact that who is there? That God is there. That Jesus is there. We see this in Revelation 22 and verse 3. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. What makes New Jerusalem a place that is so fantastic? Not just the tree and the river and the pearly gates. Those are nice, but they're nothing compared to the one who sits in the middle of the city. The one who sits on his throne. Because he is there. Blessing flows. What are the headwaters of the blessing of the new Jerusalem? The headwaters of the blessing of the new Jerusalem is Jesus himself, who feeds us what we need, and we live in his presence. 
and we get to see his face. Now, when we read that, we, we just fly right by it, but we shouldn't. We need to think about the significance of that statement. We will see his face. Friends, this is something that, that people have not been able to do. God places the Old Testament saints in a cleft of a rock as he passes by that they might see the backside of him as he goes. When Jesus came to earth, his human body veiled God's glory because they couldn't have handled it otherwise. When when Jesus does pull back the veil a little bit on the Mount of Transfiguration, they all hit the ground in reverence. When Jesus appears to John at the beginning of Revelation, the people hit the ground. But there will come a day where we will be able to see his face. What does that tell us? It tells us that there is a coming level of intimacy and fellowship with God that far surpasses anything you've experienced in this life. If you long to have a greater intimacy with God, know that on this day, this will be greater than anything you've experienced up to that day because we will be relating with him. We will see his face. And he'll be our light. He's going to light up everywhere so that we will be able to see him wherever we go. Now, if that's what Jesus is doing in eternity, where will we be? Well, we're going to be his servants. We will be his servants. What does that mean? It means that we will be taking our time, serving his purposes in eternity. The work will not be hard. It will be joyous, but we will be doing things, things consistent with his plans and honoring him. What exactly will they be? I don't know, but it won't be boring. It will be great. And not only that, we will have an opportunity to worship him. We're not just going to gather in rooms and hear somebody read a book about... That day will be in that day, and it'll be Jesus whose face we will see. We will sing, not to a screen, but we will sing to God who we see. That's what we have to look forward to. And not only that, but his name will be on our foreheads. This is an indication that what is most defining about our existence will be our connection to him. We may have a name that we carry forward, a personality that we carry forward, but the thing that we will be most known for in eternity will be our connection to him. And it will go on forever and ever and ever. Friends, this is what we have to look forward to. So how do we apply this? Well, first of all, we need to know what eternal life is all about. We need to know what it's all about. In John chapter 17, Jesus says this. He says, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's what eternal life is all about. It's not about the streets and the pearls and the jewels. It's not about the tree and the river. It's about living in perfect fellowship and relationship with God forever. That's what it's all about. And if you take that away, you don't have paradise. I love what Jim Hamilton says in his commentary, he challenges us. He says, is this the way that you think about heaven? 
If you found out that God and Jesus weren't going to be in heaven, but the street would still be gold and the gates pearl and the walls jasper and the water living and the trees leaves healing and all your dearly departed there, but Jesus and the Father would not be there, would you still want to go? If you hesitate at all, please recognize that heaven without Jesus and the Father would be nothing less than a gold-plated hell. Jesus and the Father are heaven, and that is no less true now than it will be then. Friends, eternal life is lived in relationship with God. And so let me encourage you not just to know that as a fact, but to live your relational best life now. We live in an era where people say, live your best life now. And typically what they mean by that is take another vacation or drive a nicer car. But friends, the trinkets of this life do not compare at all to our best physical life when we're living in a city with gold and pearls. But the relationship that will define our best life in eternity is available to us today. Veiled though it is, we have access to the one that we will relate to forever. And so I just would challenge you, are you living out your relational best life now? Are you spending time in prayer, communicating with the God who created you, who you will spend an eternity with? Are you reading his word so that you get to know him better? Are you serving him with your life? Are you worshiping him from the heart as we gather and and throughout your week? Are we making it a priority to gather among God's people? These are all things that are representative of our relationship with God, and they should define how we live out our lives even today. Are we living a relational best life now? What would it look like for you to take a step towards God relationally this week? And take it. Friends, we have, we have seen that we can bask in the glow of the best part of eternity and begin living in light of that now. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for this great passage of Scripture that you've given us today. Thank you for the encouragement that we have found inside it. Lord, I, I pray that we would be a people who really and truly look towards eternity and we allow eternity to shape our perspective on things that we experience today. Lord, may we follow you with obedience in light of where you're taking us. And Lord, may we be generous and gracious because you have been so generous and gracious to us. And Lord, even as we sing these words that we're getting ready to sing about your face turning upon us, may we, may we remember that one day we will see you face to face. And then be truly blessed. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.